You're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yeo. And I'm Rira Yeo. And welcome to our discussion of the Books and Boba May 2022 book club pick, Portrait of a Thief by Grace D. Lee. We've been talking about this book for, I feel like, for a long time, uh, from when it was announced as a book deal to when it got a, I think, a Netflix deal uh, to be adapted. Yeah. And now uh, we finally read it. And um, yeah, looking forward to um, Rira. You wrote a pretty lengthy post on our Goodreads forums. Looking forward to discussing more um, about this with you. We're actually recording on a pretty auspicious date because today, um, Friday, June third, is actually Dragon Bolt Festival Day. It's Duanlujie, oh. which was referenced in the book itself. For those of you who are celebrating, I guess it's the day that we eat our tons, which is our uh, sticky rice wrapped in wrapped in leaves. All right. So, um, yeah. So without further ado, let's get into it. Um, here is our discussion of Portrait of a Thief um, and just our standard spoiler warning. In our book club discussions, we do go into plot details. So if you don't want to be spoiled about this book before reading it, um, go read it right now and then come back and listen to our discussion. Um, with that said, um, Rira, can you give us the primer on Portrait of a Thief? A senior at Harvard, Will Chen fits comfortably in his carefully curated roles. A perfect student, an art history major, and sometimes artist, the eldest son who has always been his parents' American dream. But when a mysterious Chinese benefactor reaches out with an impossible and illegal job offer, Will finds himself something else as well. The leader of a heist to steal back five priceless Chinese sculptures looted from Beijing centuries ago. His crew is every heist archetype one can imagine, or at least the closest he can get. A con artist, Irene Chen, a public policy major at Duke who can talk her way out of anything. A thief, Daniel Liang, a pre-med student with steady hands just as capable of lockpicking as well as suturing. A getaway driver, Lily Wu, an engineering major who races cars in her free time. A hacker, Alex Huang, an MIT dropout turned Silicon Valley software engineer. Each member of his crew has their own complicated relationship with China and the identity they've cultivated as Chinese Americans. But when Will asks, none of them can turn him down. Because if they succeed, they earn $50 million and a chance to make history. But if they fail, it will mean not just the loss of everything they've dreamed for themselves, but yet another thwarted attempt to take back what colonialism has stolen. So yeah, um, Rira, do you have any initial thoughts about Portrait of a Thief? Well, before I go into initial thoughts, um, fun fact, these robberies are actually based on actual robberies in real life. Uh, and they were dubbed the Great Chinese Art Heist. And they happened during the 2010s. So the very first heist was at the Chinese pavilion at Sweden's Drottningholm Palace. Uh, the thieves had forced their way into the pavilion and smashed the cases. Uh, they were out within six minutes and they escaped through speedboats. Uh, and in that same year, they robbed the Code Museum 
in Bergen, Norway, and they descended from a glass ceiling, like very like Mission Impossible style. Um, and then two years later, within the same month, they robbed the Oriental Museum at England's Durham University and the Fitzwilliam Museum at Cambridge University. And then three years later, 2015, they robbed the Chateau de Fontainebleau. And uh, yeah, there were a lot of theories about who was responsible for stealing all of this Chinese art. Uh, some people said that they were free agents hired by billionaires. Other people said that it was actually the um, current Chinese government and it was a state-run operation. And I just thought it was really interesting that uh, Grace chose the 12 bronze zodiac heads, which are actual art pieces as well. They're very famous. They were pillaged by British and French forces in 1860 during the Second Opium War. Um, and they're like in the past, I think back in like 2009, like right before the uh, robberies, um, there were two Zodiac heads, the rat and the rabbit, uh, that was supposed to be sold at auction from the St. Laurent collection. And when the auction was announced, the Chinese government was obviously not pleased and they demanded to repatriate the sculptures. Um Eventually, the uh, owner sent it back as a sign of friendship after the failed auction. And uh, some of the Zodiac heads have been bought by China Poly. Um, and I think a couple of them were bought by uh, billionaires. Stanley Ho, a Hong Kong Macau billionaire, um, had bought the boar and horse and was praised by the Chinese government for being like, a good patriotic man for returning those artworks. And the dragon, snake, goat, rooster, and dog heads are still missing. So the theory is that those zodiac heads are either destroyed or they are being held in private collections. So that's a little bit of a background check on uh, where Grace got her inspiration from. Yeah, it's interesting that she took that real life, um, still unsolved mystery, and dramatized it for an Asian American story. And um, at its core, Portrait of a Thief is an Asian American story um, because, um, and this is something that surprised me because, and I think a lot of people have mentioned this, but the story itself, like the main plot itself, is not specifically about the heist. It's a story about diaspora, uh, the effects of diaspora, and specifically and specifically the Chinese diaspora. So yeah, Rira, I'm going back to my original question. Um, what are your general thoughts of Portrait of a Thief? So I originally thought that this was going to be more of a heist and action thriller novel. Um, it was kind of pitched as Ocean's Eleven meets The Farewell from Publishers Weekly and uh, Netflix. And like you said, Marvin, it's mostly like a character sketch of Chinese diaspora. And I don't know, like I have a lot of like mixed feelings about it. I mm. felt like I had to suspend a lot of my disbelief for parts, for large swaths of the book mainly the heist operations, but like I'm just going to let that go for now because 
Um, like I said, that wasn't like the core story of the book. That wasn't the heart of the book. I kind of wish the characters were not college students because a lot of the story, a lot of the writing about like not knowing what to do after graduation and just kind of like learning how to navigate loss. I feel like that could have just been a separate novel itself, um, up, like apart from the heist. I, I feel like there were just like a lot of good elements, but put together, it kind of made things a lot more watered down. I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, mm. that's kind of like my initial thoughts on it. That's interesting. I thought it was a really interesting way to uh, portray the sense of disconnection you have as a diaspora, especially Chinese diaspora. Um, I felt like, I mean, the heists themselves, like you've mentioned, um, to go into extreme detail would have required suspension of disbelief that these kids have like these very specific skills. Uh, but I did feel like um, making them college kids made a lot of sense to me because for a lot of Asian Americans, college is when you start thinking about the person you want to be. And especially as a person from the Chinese diaspora, I could relate because college is when you start becoming your own person. And that person sometimes is separate from the person you were raised to be by your parents. Um, and kind of that crossroads is where you really start thinking about what you want to be, what your connection is to your homeland. Because I don't know about... I'm sure it's similar to like the concept of Han in Korean culture, but in Chinese culture, there's no such thing as like Chinese Americans or like Chinese Canadians. Everyone is Hua Chao, which means everyone's connected to China through like, it's like a metaphorical bridge, right? Literally, it's like Chinese bridge. And the history of China is long and complicated. Lots of civil wars, lots of displacement, lots of imperialism, um, which... No, they touch on in the book. They don't go into detail, but they do touch on. And I really appreciated that each of the characters kind of had their own relationship to their homeland, ranging from like not having one at all to like being originally from there, right? As a 1.5 generation Chinese American. And I found that really relatable. And maybe that's just because, again, I am of the Chinese diaspora, um, but their struggles with um, doing this extreme act of becoming art thieves to take back their culture. To me, read like an allegory of, you know, when you're in college, that's when a lot of people start getting really fired up about what they lost as a member of the Asian diaspora. I mean, I think Grace did a pretty good job, like making that an allegory, uh, the, the theft to, you know, them reclaiming their uh, Chinese identity, um, this heritage that was stolen from them by living outside of the country. But... I don't know, like, I kind of wish there was more diversity within that group, within that crew, because all of them are from, like, Ivy League schools. All of them are pretty privileged, even though they come from different backgrounds, like low-income families. Um, I don't know. I feel like you could have used maybe, like, one or two characters who weren't, like, super college-educated or... They have a more complicated view with current day China um, because China is a very you can't really take the politics out of China and art is politics. So 
if you think about like Alex, for example, she's it's implied that she's from Hong Kong or she might be from uh, Taiwan. I'm not sure. She speaks Cantonese and her parents came in the 60s and her parents were the ones that grew up in America. So she's second slash third generation Chinese American. So she probably came from I don't even know if she came from Hong Kong. She probably came from like Guangdong, like southern China. And like I said before, um, in like the background, like uh, a lot of like Chinese billionaires who buy like looted Chinese art, they're kind of lauded to be like very patriotic. But like, what does it mean to be patriotic to the Chinese party right now? So it's it's kind of like if I think about, say, if like the Zodiac heads were stolen or bought by Taiwanese collectors or Hong Kong collectors, like, would they have showed their loyalty to uh, the current Chinese party? That, like, that gets complicated like because... That, well, they also have, like, Taiwan also has, like, a lot of the artifacts from the old Summer Palace. So it's also a very complicated subject. Yeah, so I, that's why I expected a little bit more diversity and more tension when it comes to um, their decision to steal these artifacts. I guess. Like, I know that wasn't like the point of the novel, but for me, like, I felt like that would have been a very interesting layer to add to the book. And I just feel like they could have used another character that wasn't college educated that was from a more uh conflicting background i expected more clashing perspectives especially when you have five characters <laughs> and the voices just kind of like after a while they seemed almost interchangeable to me even though they come from different backgrounds See, I felt like they did a really good job making each character distinct, especially within... Because, okay, so this book has five point-of-view characters, right? Each member of the crew is their own point-of-view character, and um, each chapter switches between them. And I found it really fascinating that Grace kept pairing up characters in different um, combinations. It reminded me of, like, the more storytelling types of tabletop RPGs where... You have characters with their own agendas, their own incomplete information interacting with each other. And that creates unique dynamics between them because like a lot of Asian American literature, a lot of the drama comes from what's left unsaid, uh, either to each other, to family. And um, I kind of feel like each character were very distinct. Uh, Well, that's interesting. Yeah, this is going to be one of those discussions where you and I are going to be on opposing sides. (laughs) It's been a while, Marvin. <laughs> yeah. I think the yeah, last time we did um, this was another book that was very Chinese-American. So I had like that's a true. personal relationship that's to true. it as well. I mean, like, they all have different relationships with China and their Chinese heritage. I'm not saying that those weren't distinct. But in terms of, like, writing their voices, I, like, I don't know. Like, there was just something about it that kind of read the same maybe it's because a lot of it was like internal thoughts on diaspora and it kind of felt like I was um I was hearing the author's take on diaspora rather than the characters and I 
I think in the uh, book jacket description, it says his crew is every heist archetype one can imagine. And I'm like, that's kind of what I felt. They were all archetypes rather than characters in a well, way. And they, I think what it is is you set up those archetypes because that's what you're familiar with. But then you subvert them with like kind of this is like the Chinese diaspora version of it. And um, I guess I do see your point that all these characters kind of seem similar because they're all college educated, like overachievers. Um, but I also like to me, part of what this book does well is showing that even that is not a monolith. Everyone has their own kind of history. Right? If you look at someone like Lily and Alex and compare it to Irene, people from the outside might think they're like the same person. They, they're smart Chinese girls who are good at what they do, but they all come from very different backgrounds and also have very different relationships with both, again, with their Chinese identity, but also with their sense of home, what home means and their parents too, right? And like what their obligations are to their parents' dreams. Um, I thought that was well done. Yeah, like one of my favorite parts of the book, which I thought was done really well, was Daniel and his relationship with his father. And I guess in a way, I I, I wish there was like more flashback or more context to the other, um, other crew members like families, because you do get it like um, you do get hints of it here and there and you kind of have to piece it together. But I wonder if the story... And the character development would have benefited from more interactions, you know, with their family. I mean, like, Alex has it a little bit. And I think that's why, like, Alex and Daniel are, like, my favorite characters. Because to me, they seem the most fleshed out. I mean, I think pacing-wise, that would have probably slowed down the book a lot. But at the same time, I can see why Alex and Daniel, that was a focal point because they're the two characters that are the most connected to their families. Um, it seems like, you know, Lily, the driver from Galveston, you know, she understands that she has her parents' love, but she's not as connected to her parents. And it seems like Will and Irene's parents are just like your typical kind of absentee, um, always busy Rich Asian Chinese parents. parents, right? So um, I think, I mean, not to say that it wouldn't have helped, but there's, a, I think there's a reason why those two were the characters with the most interactions with their family, because those are the two characters that have relationships with their family. Yeah, but I kind of wish the absence was emphasized more, like I said, like with flashbacks to see like how they were raised as Chinese Americans or their, um, just kind of like see how their view on China was shaped through uh, their childhood. I wish I just saw a little bit more of that. Um, and that's just me being, I guess, a greedy reader. And like, I, I just like having like more world building and just uh, character backstories. That might just be a personal taste. I mean, as, as listeners can see, <laughs> Marvin and I have opposing tastes on this book. Uh, but yeah, let's go back to the heist. Um we mentioned that they watch Ocean's Eleven uh, as like part of their research. And it's really funny. Grace in an interview said that that was part of her research too. <laughs> While writing this manuscript, she watched Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate that the getting the band together scenes was just like the first two chapters. That we didn't spend half the book leading up to the heist. Um, but I know you have thoughts about the heist itself. I think... In that aspect, we are in agreement with how this heist book is not actually really a heist book. 
Yeah, yeah. I think the premise is uh, pretty misleading, but the title, "A Portrait of a Thief," is pretty pretty accurate. This is a this is a portrait of five thieves, uh, ironically. But with the heist, yeah, this is where I say it would have been more believable if they weren't college students. But I get why Grace made them college students because they're not supposed to know what they're doing. Uh, just like you know, it's an allegory of like finding your identity and reclaiming your Chinese heritage. Um, but five heists seemed. Way too ambitious for me. Oh, I knew it was going to go wrong halfway through. I was something was going to go wrong. <laughs> I feel like if they were going to do multiple heists, like three is a good number. Uh, you have like one that goes really well, and then the second one where they encounter another group of thieves that beat them to the artifact, and then the third one, which is like the Met. But my personal taste is. I wish it was just one heist, and it was the Metropolitan Museum that they robbed from, because that's the only American museum that had the、uh, Zodiac heads in this book. And I just feel like I, I wished I read more about like the planning, because the the thing about heist novels is like the precision, right? The planning that is the more Engaging part for me, like the execution is all cool and stuff, but、um, I really like the planning in heist novels, the meticulous、uh, like background checks and scoping out the、uh, location and whatnot. And、um, the beginning of the book starts with Will being interrogated、uh, because he works at the Sackler Museum at Harvard University. Uh, it gets robbed by a group of thieves who stole a bunch of Chinese artifacts, and a Boston detective is like, "Oh, are you Chinese?" And there's a lot of like racial microaggressions there, which I thought was like a really good way to set up the book. But in my head, I was like, "Will Chen, what what is his job at the Sackler Museum that he's able to just?" Easily access security, and I just found it a little bit weird that he was an art history major, and he didn't really seem to be all that happy about studying art history. <laughs>、um, I mean, that just seems to not be the case in just my personal observations of art history majors. But I mean, his character、yeah. is—he's an art history major because he. Couldn't be an art major, but you can be an art major and an art history major, and a lot of the times people double major or you know they still do art. And I don't know. There's just it. It just seemed a little bit condescending to to art history majors. I mean, I get the sentiment that okay, I can't go full art because that will invalidate my parents' dreams for me. So I'll pick the, I guess the more easily explainable version of the major I actually want to do, which I think is a really relatable conundrum for Asian Americans、um, in college, right? Like I don't know many art history majors, so I can't speak to that. But I know plenty of people who talk about, okay, what is an acceptable 
major that lets me be adjacent to what I really want to do. I mean, that is relatable, obviously, but like, okay, for for example, at the end of the novel, he gets a job offer from the Metropolitan Museum as like the junior curator of um, Chinese art. And I'm like, okay, well, that's definitely not accurate because everyone knows that if you want a job at a museum, you pretty much need to get your master's um, and even then, like, it's mostly, like, PhD holders. And a lot of those jobs are very, very specific. They're very narrow to, like, like a sliver of, of a time period. It's very specialized. And... Oh, I didn't know that. You so know, thanks anybody... for uh, educating <laughs> me on the inaccuracies of the book. And also just, like, anyone who... Like any art student who says, oh, I'm going to do art history major because it's a more stable field is really lying to themselves. It is more lucrative to be an art major because you can do freelance, you can work for like an ad company, you can um, do galleries, whereas art history, it requires so much time, so much schooling. And I feel like I would have believed Will if he wasn't an art history major, if he was like a business major, for example, because he is like the eldest son and there is a lot riding on him and art was like a super passionate subject for him. So instead of him being like, oh, I chose art history because I couldn't become an artist, it would have been more believable to me if he was a different major entirely and his love for art and art history was just this one complete thing. Also, also, one one thing that I found very interesting was um, when they break into the first museum and when they break into the Chinese pavilion at the Drottingham Home Palace, uh, Grace describes like the shattering of glass, right? And I was like, glass? What museums use glass these days? It's usually plexiglass and they're very, very durable. Um and I just, and if I was a thief, I would probably look for the lock or hidden screw that keeps like the four panels of the plexiglass together. Um, and also like how the artifacts are set up. I was just like, I don't know, it's something, something's off. <laughs> and, and I know these are like small details, but to me, they really, I couldn't suspend my disbelief enough because it was already a little bit incredulous that a group of college kids would be hired by the Chinese government or I guess like a Chinese corporation to steal these artifacts. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. The heists themselves were probably not the strongest parts of this heist novel, which um, I mean, I, I don't think I was as disappointed as you probably because I didn't catch those details um, that you mentioned, like as a I guess as a casual reader. Um it seemed believable to me. And I mean, okay. did you did you think it was believable that they planned their heists over WhatsApp and Google Docs? Because I was like, don't you need some encryption on that? Like, why WhatsApp? Why didn't why did they not use Telegram, which is like known to be <laughs> like super good with encryption? I just figured and, that I just figured that was Chekhov's um, non-encryption for them to get caught later. I mean, that's what I was thinking because to me, there was no way they weren't going to get caught, um, especially because 
there's not there weren't enough pages for five actual heists in this book. So that was just me. That's how I was using my like tropey brain to predict what was coming in the future. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have much to say about all that because I mean, there's no way to refute your very detailed description of what was wrong about the heist. It's just it's just because I've been to so many museums and like because like the Met is a museum that I've been to like almost like every week during my time in Manhattan. Like I'm very familiar with the setup of museums and it was like like those yeah. details were a little bit um lacking for me. I guess for me I was willing to look past it because I was totally interested with the character drama. So I wanted to really get back to that. Um uh, and I mean it I don't know does this book count as a YA? It's it's technically new adult because yeah. uh, these are kids who are in like their I say kids right but like twenty one twenty two I mean but the protagonists are definitely like YA protagonists like you said there are there are kids who are doing stuff that are way over their heads that they probably shouldn't have been put in that position in the first place but um, I mean but to me I feel like the heists weren't again they weren't. <laughs> Even though they were sold as like the framing device for this book, the heists themselves are more of a plot device than the actual like. In my uh, comment, just, in my Goodreads comments, I say that instead of a heist novel, this is more of a literary novel that is plotted around a heist. And you know, like I understand making the heist like less of a priority uh, compared to like the character drama and uh, the characters. Uh, exploring their Chinese identity. But because the heist is a plot device, I expect that to be a little bit more solid. I guess I had higher expectations than Marvin when it came to the heist. And because of that, I was disappointed. Yeah, that's sad. uh, Because I feel like there were plenty of excitement to be had with the novel. Like I really enjoyed Lily's scene, specifically when it turns into like Fast and the Furious. Um, Oh, yeah. Lily was like MVP of that crew. (laughs) Just saying. I mean, Irene, too, but um, I don't know. Like, Lily was the one who made sure that they got away. So most important person on the crew, in my opinion. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the heists and what the heists did not do for you. Um, But let's go back to, again, what is the real heart of the story, which are the characters. So we talked about Will, and obviously Will isn't your favorite character because of his inconsistent motivations, Um, which I kind of... He's so pretentious. Yeah, I felt like Will... Like, the fact that his description was, oh, he likes beautiful things. And I'm like, fuck off. Like, what a fuck boy. Yeah. Will was probably the most unlikable of the crew, even though he was the self-proclaimed leader. He was definitely, like, my least favorite of the crew. Like, to me, like, they join because of Will, right? Because Will is able to persuade them. He recruits them. And I'm like, Will is not charming enough to persuade anyone to risk their entire career in order to steal art. I mean, that's kind of his character, though, right? Because the only person that Will persuaded to join was Alex. And Alex joined because she was, I don't know if bored is the right word, she was burnt out. And I guess on that note, um, I really liked Alex's character as someone who achieved the Asian American parent dream and found like nothing that she wanted there. Yeah, I like the fact that she was a dropout 
and she stuck with her Google job because she was like the shining hope in her family because she was like the breadwinner and made sure that her parents' restaurant was able to stay in business and uh, her being able to pay for her siblings like SAT classes as the eldest children. <laughs> uh, Marvin and I are both like the oldest child. <laughs> we understand that burden and that responsibility. And I thought that was depicted really, really well. And the idea of you know, getting your dream job or what you thought was your dream job and finding it very unfulfilling <laughs> and having all of your optimism drained out of you. Because like when you graduate from college, you think that you can change the world, right? Or you think you're, you're like obligated to change the world with your talents. And with Alex, when she's at Google, she learns that she's just part of the machine, like anybody can do her job as long as they're able to write lines of code. And when Will presents this idea to her about stealing Chinese artifacts and having them repatriated, uh, to her, it just seems like something that so, something that some good that she can do in the world, which also brings into question the ethics of um, Western museums having stolen art, which I also have a lot of thoughts about. But <laughs> I do love the fact that she yeah. takes the role of hacker, even though she's never done any actual hacking. And I like that because like real world hacking isn't what we see in the movies or what we see in Ocean's Eleven. It's not like click, 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 I'm in. But it is what um, Alex ends up doing, which is trying to find backdoors, trying to find ways to get into secure logins and exploits to get into systems. And I, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, people people think that hacking is, like you said, like you're sitting in a dark room and you have like seven <laughs> monitors and you're just like typing really fast and that's how you get in. But really a lot of hacking is just sending a bunch of emails with like a phishing link <laughs> and yeah. having someone click on that link and having access to their computer, which she kind of does in a way with uh, using Daniel's father's laptop because he's an FBI agent and that's her in. And I was yeah. like, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even with all of Will's F-boy tendencies, I like that the first person he thought to call after calling his sister was Alex because Alex was someone who like, quote unquote, has never found a problem she couldn't solve. And I, I like that like mm -hmm. kind of like one liner for her. But I feel like the rest of the crew was actually recruited by Irene, who was the real charismatic person in that crew. Um, yep. And also, two of the characters are in love with her, which I liked. <laughs> I liked the sapphic relationship with Irene and Alex because they had like this. <laughs> yeah, I was half expecting it to become like a love triangle thing. But I'm kind of glad it didn't. I'm kind of glad it. Yeah, was, I'm glad like... it didn't. But I really did like their relationship and how it grew. Uh, because it starts off with Irene being like, you're not even a hacker. Like, <laughs> why are you here? I really like this uh, dynamic between the two. And Alex kind of resents Irene because she's able to, she seems to be able to get whatever she wants based on like pretty privilege. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, what an interesting dynamic that they have. I liked it. Yeah. Um what are your thoughts on Irene as a character? Um, I kind of wish that 
she was the one that was approached for uh, recruiting everybody and being the leader because obviously she is more charismatic, like you said. <laughs> but I like details about how because her brother is studying art, like she found herself um, responsible for fulfilling the parents' expectations of their child succeeding and having that American dream. So she is applying for all these jobs at like investment banks and um, you know her plan is to go to law school and she has like a very linear career path and she is just like well no matter how much I succeed I'm not going to be seen as equally important because Will is like the oldest son and he's the golden boy and I was like sexism in <laughs> uh, Asian family yes I totally understand I, I totally understand that and i like that little detail in their relationship yeah i liked irene's character a lot as well um she was another character that maybe not as pretentious as well but also very pretentious also someone who she's competent though that's the thing she's <laughs> pretentious but she's competent so she make it makes her more likable more tolerable i mean yeah competent but also very reckless i think she's you know in terms of archetypes, right? She's the one who, because she's always gotten what she wants, she kind of subconscious maybe wants to get caught, wants to mess up and like face consequences. And in being that person, she's constantly, you know, pushing Alex's buttons as someone who is more conservative with her, like risk taking, right? I mean, there's a scene where after their first heist, like they um, put the snake head. Was it was this a snake head? I don't remember which zodiac it was, but. Uh, they put it in Irene's case because they know that if uh, the security officers decide to like go through her things, she'll be able to lie her way out <laughs> because she is like super charismatic and she is very, very good on her feet. Um, of course, I believe that she is like very competent and able to talk herself out of anything, everything. But during that scene, I was like, why did they put the statue in their suitcase? Like, like, <laughs> do they not know that when you are transferring artifacts, you need to, like, package it so it doesn't get damaged? And if you put that through customs, they won't know because you're putting it in, like, a very specific casing. So to me, I was just like, oh, my God, there's, like, an easier way where they would not have gotten caught by security or, like, have those worries and will being an art history major i'm like how did you not think about this <laughs> well to be fair grace d lee the author is not an art history major she is a med student so she's probably closer to i like, know you're working Daniel, with limited right? knowledge which is why like the book with with like the chinese diaspora conversations that seemed to be the strongest factor in the book because she is also Chinese-American and she's able to discuss diaspora experiences with more nuance than, say, white authors because she's actually lived it. Yeah. Speaking of med students, any thoughts on Daniel Liang? Daniel Liang. Uh, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> it's like, why did you say yes to, to this con? I... It's like your dad is in charge of solving art crimes. It just seemed like a really bad idea. I mean, I get it, but in my head, I was just like, are you really going to throw away 
going to med school for this? I mean, yeah, I think he was. I mean, I mean, he was. I mean, I was like super frustrated by that. But, you know, Daniel was one of my favorite characters, like Daniel and Alex. They were my top two. Yeah, I mean, I get that uh, in terms of like serving as like dramatic kindling for for the story, having the son of the lead investigator be one of the crew. I thought it was a pretty genius idea. Um, I think it makes sense because Daniel is he's acting out, right? What do you do when you act all against your parents? You do the thing that will hurt them the most, right? And that too, Daniel is being the person that is his dad's job to put away. Daniel, um, he's the only one in the group who kind of grew up in China before coming to America. And there's a scene where they are with another group of Chinese thieves who are actually from the mainland and they're like super rich and they're doing these heists for themselves because they believe that um, they believe in the same cause. And they ask uh, Will's crew, like, why are you doing this? You're not even Chinese. You're Chinese Americans. Like what like connection do you have to our homeland that you feel like you need to prove your loyalty in a way. And Daniel says, like, well, I am Chinese. I was born there. And that is something that I could relate to because I am someone who immigrated to the States at a young age rather than being born here. Yeah, I mean, that's also um, goes with the theme of, like, what does diaspora mean? Diaspora is the constant losing of your culture right like how the longer you spend in your new country the longer and thinner that thread is right and i really enjoyed reading about not only um the characters um relationship with their chinese identities but also their relationship with like being in china right um and how for each of them it's it means something different right for daniel it's coming back home whereas with irene and will being in the place where they can be more comfortable, but also realizing that it's not entirely theirs, right? And that's kind of the same feeling I get when I go to Taiwan, which is I'm perfectly comfortable with existing in Taiwan. But when I'm there, I'm also very aware that like I'm still like a foreigner here. And then you have people like Alex and Billy, who is their first time in China. And to them, it's like discovering something that they've never felt before. And I like that, again... Could there have been more experiences represented here? Yes. But in terms of like these five different experiences, I, I like that. It also shows that, yeah, the sense of home and the sense of being in the, in the quote unquote motherland homeland is also different for different members of the diaspora. And which I guess brings us to Lily, the last member of our crew, um, who it turns out to be Will's um, love interest, who's not a fling. Um which, um, what did you think about their chemistry? Did you buy Lily as the I feel like one she for could Will? Do, she could do so much better. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, Lily? You deserve better than Will. I mean, you're, like, so cool. You race cars. And uh, and you're, like, an engineer, too. Like, what the hell are you doing with Will? <laughs> <laughs> she was the coolest character. And thanks, I think she had, like, uh, you think, you think the... Um, and she did have like the coolest scenes in the book. Like I think the race scenes were definitely um, more fun to read than the actual heists. 
Yeah, I, the racing scenes were definitely like the most exciting parts of mm-hmm. the book, in my opinion. Um, it definitely reminded me of Fast and the Furious, and <laughs> you know that is like part of the Asian American canon. Yeah. Um, so one last criticism that I have, I'm so sorry to Grace because I feel like I've just been nitpicking her book to pieces. It's not, I would give this book a three stars. It's not like I hated it or loved it. It's just, I have, um, I thought there were some parts that were really well done. And then there were parts where, uh, it could have used more research. And one of those elements was, uh, the view on art museums and the repatriation of looted art. And I just thought that the art museums were kind of like generalized as the villains of the story, whereas like a lot of art historians, they do really care about repatriation and also like uh, just making sure that someone's heritage is preserved you know they really care about provenance and they're very meticulous with tracing art and making sure that it wasn't looted and I just felt like a lot of that was lost in the book it would have been nice to have more depth in the art history and art museums part because there are definitely people who are bad apples in the art museum world who, you know, don't care about provenance and they just, you know, uh, display whatever. Uh, But museums are very careful about which art they curate and display. And I just feel like I would have liked to see more of that. Like with the the tour guide, for example, at one of the museums who happened to be part of the other group of thieves which was like pretty funny to me but it would have been nice to have shown um like a chinese american art curator uh at the metropolitan museum who is able to uh, articulate all of the complications like it's not like a black and white subject there is a lot of um nuance to it and it's not like every single art from China was just looted and then put immediately into Western museums. Art is traded, art is donated, uh, private donors buy art and they keep it for themselves for a long time. It trades hands. There's a lot of like complications to it. So for me personally, I wish there was a little bit more of that in the book because it is about like reclaiming art from colonizers and imperialists not all art museums it's not even like not all (laughs) art museums it's like most art museums (laughs) i guess to me and this is i guess coming from a more layman's perspective who does not have as much insight as you into the world of museums and art history just the idea that museums are full of art and pieces that were taken from places during the age of imperialism and colonialism. That's still a fact that I think a lot of people don't think about when they do visit 
think it is a good conversation starter for sure for people who, you know, have never questioned um, like who does like what for people who have never questioned, like who does the art belong to? And that is also like a very complicated, like complicated question, in my opinion. Um, Does it belong to the creator? Does it belong to the culture that shaped that art? Um, Actually, it's interesting that the artifacts that they steal back are the Zodiac heads because the Zodiac heads were actually designed by an Italian Jesuit architect uh, named Giuseppe Castiglione. And um, those heads were actually part of a water clock that was designed by a French Jesuit. And uh, they were part of the palace that had European-style mansions. So it was like this unique blend of Western and Asian art. And that's kind of an allegory for Chinese-American <laughs> diaspora, <laughs> where a blend of West and East but yeah, I think it's a pretty good conversation starter <laughs> on like what it means to have Western colonizer and imperialist display art that was stolen. Um, what did you think about the ending with the last heist? I thought that was probably the most heist movie accurate part of this story, which is the heist that is actually a fake out to the actual heist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I really I get the feeling you're going to say that it's unrealistic that the father will let them go as like an FBI investigator. But I thought that was a really good moment. I actually thought that was realistic, to be honest, because what kind of parent would rat their child out? <laughs> but I like the fact that they uh, they pretty much like released a paper exposing the art museums. And that is what prompts museums around the world to be more transparent about looted art. And that is the case in history as well. Like um, I mentioned earlier about like the auction of the Zodiac heads from the Yves uh, St. Laurent collection. And the reason why it was returned to China was because there was such an outcry about it. I just like the fact that they were able to create this change just through an academic paper it seems like the most college thing to do to be honest and that was really believable to me yeah and i guess you know you mentioned that the real life heist happened like 2015 like the early 2010s which i can see that happening then i don't see that happening in like 2021 2022 when this book takes place because the climate of all countries these days are very nationalistic and part of being nationalistic is never admitting that what your country did in the past was wrong it was interesting that like this book acknowledged the pandemic because it talked about uh, the characters doing classes, online classes. And I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's a new era. <laughs> that's the that's the first time I read a, a, a book where the pandemic was acknowledged. Um, so, yeah, as we wrap up our discussion of Portrait of a Thief, um, any final thoughts? I think the parts that really shine bright in this book were the perspectives of Chinese Americans and um, the heaviness and loss you feel as someone who is part of the diaspora. I think that part of the book was really done well. And um, the premise was really interesting. Like, it definitely hooks you. And 
yeah, like overall, I thought it was a pretty, even though I criticize this book quite a lot, I did have fun reading it. So how about you, Marvin? <laughs> um, obviously, uh, I enjoyed this book a lot more than Rira did. Um, and I think part of that is because as a member of the Chinese diaspora myself, um, I found a lot to relate to in the characters and what they're going through. Um, and I guess as someone ignorant in the ways of arts and museums, um, the parts that weren't accurate didn't bother me as much. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that it was at the very least a fun read. It was pretty well paced. I mean, I was initially concerned with having five POV characters once I started realizing that they were going to go through all five POVs because usually when it comes to books with multiple point of views, there's always one person that I become more excited about reading. And with this one, I felt like there was always something going on. There was always a new relationship to explore. And I think that for a book with so many POV characters, it was pretty well put together. And ultimately as a piece of Asian American literature, I think it does a good job exploring that sense of like the effects of like cultural displacement on diaspora and the relationships that we have with our parents' homelands. I think in that aspect, this book did a really good job portraying those relationships. And yeah, I think ultimately that's what um, carried the book for me um, as a whole. So yeah. So that was our discussion of Portrait of a Thief. The Goodreads thread is uh, up for anybody who wants to chime in. I'd love to read uh, our listeners' thoughts. Um, so if you have not read it yet, go ahead and read it and leave us a comment if you can. Yeah. So Reba, what are we reading for the month of June? Uh, so our June 2022 book club pick is Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe. Melinda Lowe is an OG Asian-American writer. Uh, she is the co-founder of Diversity in YA with Asian-American author Cindy Pond. And the book is set in 1950s San Francisco's Chinatown. And it follows a 17-year-old uh, Chinese-American girl who explores her sexuality after she stumbles upon a lesbian bar. Yeah, no, we've been hearing about this book a lot. It's been recommended to us, um, I think, um, by a lot of our reader friends. It won the National Book Award for Young People's Literature in 2021. And yeah, I'm excited to dig into um, this book. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and the paperback is out too. <laughs> nice. So making it more accessible to our listeners. And with that, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you for joining us as Rira and I discussed Portrait of a Thief by Grace V. Lee. Um, we'll be back next time with our mid-month book news review for um, June 2022. So until then, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Rayu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening.
co-host the podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like, a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.